0: Ladies and gentlemen, warning. Spoilers ahead. Caught right-handed. So you thought by using sympathy and, and on all your family lawyer, you get me under your spell. What on earth are you talking about? The game's up, Mother Harry. I'm Bats. You're telling me. I know all about you masquerading as a colonel's daughter, about pure heart pretending to be whitehead, about the formula, about bumping people off and taking people for rides and, and everything. And the world's greatest defective. Good evening, and welcome to television.
1: Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey, Hey. whoa. I'm a Philip Hunting. And I'm Wayne Stellini. Welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Hey, Philip. Yes. What have you been watching since our last podcast?
0: I watched Jojo Rabbit. Oh, hello. Yes. It's a relatively recent movie that's come out by Taika Waititi, and it's about the Hitler... Yeah, Fun stuff! Fun stuff! <laughs> but it's actually really well done. Um, I won't go into spoiler territory, because it is still a fairly new movie, and people might want to see it, and all that jazz. So, what I will say is, it covers that era in the only way you could cover that era outside of a documentary.
1: Well, Taika Waititi has such a wonderful sense of humour, doesn't oh, yeah. he? So, it's probably the right approach That's if it. you're going to cover this topic, and also... Not take the topic seriously, so to speak, in terms of you don't want to glamorise it, so make fun of it. That's it. You you remember
0: um, us watching, and for listeners at home, remember our review on The Death of Stalin. Yes. Very similar style of movie. Mm. Takes a very serious topic, very serious era. Makes light of it, but not in a way that's offensive.
1: No, that's right. Mm. Difficult to do, Philip. So you enjoyed this particular film? I very much enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, that's all I can really say about it without <laughs>
1: spoilers. But <laughs> um, I nice. no,
0: really, really enjoyed the movie, and you recommend it to myself. I definitely recommend it to you and all those who are listening. <laughs> we'll probably—I'd love to do a, a Fred watch of it one day. Okay, so watch the space.
1: Watch the space. How about yourself, Wayne? What have you been watching? Well, I watched a series called Years and Years by Russell T. Davis. Ooh, I love
0: Russell T. Davis. Yes, a
1: wonderful writer. For those who don't particularly know the name, he created Queer as Folk and also worked on Doctor Who. Yes, So he was responsible for the resurgence of Doctor Who. So he's revered amongst us TV nerds. And Years and Years is a wonderful look at the future so it's set over a 15 year period through the point of view of this british family and what it does so cleverly is it sets up a dystopian future that is terrifyingly believable so when we look at a lot of dystopian programs and films we tend to see things that are a bit far-fetched or really advanced and we can't really see or understand how they would get to that point for example, we watch *The Handmaid's Tale*, which is the greatest TV series of last decade, in my opinion. But it seems so extreme. We go, "Oh, it would never get to that." Yeah, we'd never let it. We'd never, never let it happen, even though a lot of the circumstances in that show are based on real life things and cultural codes and expectations and laws and rules in the past and unfortunately elsewhere in the world outside of Western society. But we, in our current mindset, I suppose, and perhaps foolishly, go, eh, it's a bit far-fetched to Mm. some degree. Scary, yes, but... We'd never let that happen to our society. What years and years does is it introduces these changes quite gradually. So the technology isn't about flying cars or anything, but it's advanced. Yeah. And we can go, oh yeah, I can see how that would work. That's only one or two years away from what we're doing now. Food is a bit different. So it shows the evolution of how we eat, how we socialize, how we work. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, about politics. Yeah. Yes. So it's quite fascinating and scary at the same time emma thompson plays a demagogue Mm. prime minister of britain very much fashioned on donald trump yeah and donald trump does exist in this world again it uses real life figures in the background and in news as well and she actually does have quotes and paraphrases of trump as well so boris johnson yes exactly but (laughs) very much trump-esque so russell isn't shy or isn't really hiding he's always been good at that yeah he's not really hiding his critique of our contemporary world and also the near future it's a scary series but it is absolutely riveting six episodes only only one season will not be a second season won't happen can't be and unfortunately didn't quite rate that well in yeah. the uk yeah but i'm kind of okay with this because it now exists as its own little perfect story yeah. highly highly recommend i really want
0: to see it I, I i've heard of that before and really want to see it
1: yeah it's really good philip and i think as someone such as yourself who is interested and is quite knowledgeable about politics about technology and is quite aware of our modern society and broader global issues, I think you'll get a lot out Mm. of it. Yeah. So, we've looked towards the future, at least (laughs) I did. You looked at a satire towards the past. Mm -hmm. Philip, what are we looking at
0: today? Well, today we're reviewing the 1952 goon show-esque comedy Down Among the Zed Men.
1: Tell us about it, Janet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When Harry Jones... Harry Seacombe, a clerk and amateur actor in community theatre, is inadvertently left with absent-minded Professor Osric Purehearts, Michael Benteen, secret military formula, conned by two enemy spies into following the Professor, and is falsely conscripted into the Z-Men in the British Army. He teams up with Eccles, Spike Milligan, Colonel Bloodnock, Peter Sellers, and Carol Gailey, Carol Carr to foil an attempt by the secret agents to purloin Professor Pureheart's formula. It's all rather confusing, really. Wayne, did you get down
1: amongst the Z men? Well, Philip <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't quite put it that way myself. <laughs> yeah. So in our last episode we had reviewed Gone with the Wind. Yes. And, as you know, I consider Gone with the Wind as the greatest film ever made. Yes. And you, my friend, had suggested that this movie should have been <laughs> the greatest film ever made, mm-hmm. but that you were disappointed. Yep. You had already flagged that. Yeah. Watching Down Among the men <laughs> today with you, I can see absolutely nothing in it that suggests that it should have, could have, or would have been <laughs> the greatest film ever ever made that was a huge stretch <laughs> but i understand now this is the first time you've really seen it properly yes yes, yes. so maybe you're a bit optimistic <laughs> i've also got a little
0: bit of background <laughs> that makes me still stand by that statement i
1: can't wait to argue but i also understand your uh criticisms yes so look to summarize there isn't a lot that i can say about this film because there isn't a lot that i can draw from it positive or negative it's not overly entertaining Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have that so bad it's good quality that'll say okay let's pick at this and let's pick at that overall i found it to be quite dull disengaging and you're right philip it's all rather confusing (laughs) um there were moments that made me sort of smile slightly that's the most that i could get from this movie particularly when we get to the final act where really it seems to either fill in space to draw out the runtime or to just push gags that fall flat. Anyway, we have a variety show that distracts from the plot. Yes. Does it work within the plot? Absolutely. Yeah. Does it work within whatever the plot is supposed to be? (laughs) Yes, it does. However, the fact that it just comes across as padding as some of the moments do when we have... Um, people singing or, or dance routines. There are some gags thrown in, but again, they fall flat. Yeah. So it does feel like wasted space.
0: So this movie, I I think I'm the same in the sense I don't have a lot to say about the actual movie. However, I come at it from a very different background and very different um, knowledge base, which explains why I was... Partly hopeful, and actually, it also explains why I have this movie to begin with. (laughs) Yes, Um, you own it. But, the thing is, this movie is not what it was meant to be. Right. Or what it could have been. And what I mean by that is, this movie stars a quadro of people called the Goons. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the goons are Harry Secombe, Peter Sellers, Spike Milligan, and Michael Benteen. This movie should have been written by Spike Milligan. Mm-hmm. It was written by a couple called Jimmy Grafton and Francis Charles. Now, right. I know nothing about them, and frankly, I don't care to, <laughs> because... This movie just felt like a couple of fanboy Goon Show fanboys going, "Oh, let's 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 put this into a movie. Let's make this onto TV and then not having a clue where to put Goon Show humor into it." Okay. It's like they had a script and then they just threw a couple of Goon Show jokes in there.
1: Yeah. So, Philip, the Goon Show originated in radio, is that correct? Yes. Yes. Well, I've just been looking up Jimmy Grafton now, Mm -hmm. and he actually wrote for the Goon Show radio show. Well,
0: that surprises me heavily, because there's no way in hell he has captured the Goon Show within this. Yeah. This does not have Goon Show heart or soul. Mm. It is not done well at all. Mm. I feel there were a couple of attempts throughout the years to do Goon Show-esque shows, again, some more successful than others. So, for example, there was a series, short-lived series called The Telegoons. Right. Now, what that actually does is essentially take Spike Milligan's scripts and just sets it to puppets. So mm. there's puppetry and um, to try to get the world a bit more because it's very hard to do Goon show humour, which is very da-da, very abstract, within the real world. For example, there's a famous uh, skit where they're all looking through a telescope, and they're looking at uh, Paris from England through this telescope, and one of them says, you know, Paris is too far away, we'll never get there in time. Oh, it's much quicker through this telescope, right, travel through the telescope, and then there's just popping noises, and they're in France. Right. Because... Why not?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's absurdist humour. It's absurdist humour. It's, for the era, far too difficult to do that sort of thing on television. Yes. Especially for the 50s where, frankly, they're still, in in a lot of ways, still working television out. You know what I mean? Well, yes, there have been plenty of good big movies. Obviously, we saw one last time. We did. But there's still lots of stuff they're trying to work out for Humour, comedy is one of the biggest ones.
1: Yes. And even I think if you've got the humour and comedy down pat, let's face it, television would never receive the budget that a feature film yes. would as well. So that makes perfect sense. Yes. Yeah.
0: Another one they tried was the Q series. Now, this is actually a comedy sketch show mm. written by Spike Milligan. Now, unlike the Telegoons, The Goon Show, or Down Amongst the Z-Men... This was just lots of little skits. So this is more akin to your Two Ronnies Mm. or Morkum and Wise. It's just lots of little skits Mm. um, within a show. Or even Python a few years later sort of thing. This is just lots of little skits put throughout a TV series. And it worked. It worked so well that there were six seasons from 1969 to 1982. Right. It was very popular.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, so this movie does not feature the humour. The only times for me that really made me go, there's there's an inkling of it, mm. was any time Spike Milligan was on screen mm-hmm. as Eccles, and this one skit with Michael Bentine. hmm Um, Now, Michael Benteen actually left the Goons after the first season to go do his own sort of brand of humour. He wanted to do a lot more even further abstract stuff, whereas Spike liked having this structure of a storyline. Right. So they sort of parted ways with that. He's obviously come back for this movie, and he has a a skit in there, which is very out of character. I actually didn't realise it was part of this movie until watching it today. So... What skit was that, Philip? That was the, I want to sell you this chair skit. Yep. So it's basically, he's got the top half of a chair and he's talking about he wants to sell it to you and why this chair is so important because it represents britain and the soldiers and the flag and the, and he's just taking this top half of a chair and turning it into all the different items he's talking yeah, it's about it's a clever concept it's a very clever concept i think it's well played again not the funniest thing in the world no. but i can definitely see that as part of a routine you could do mm. on stage Put into this movie, it made no bloody sense. (laughs) Again, it just
1: felt like padding.
0: It felt like padding. And it's such a disappointment because
1: the goons are actually known for padding comedy. You know what, though? In terms of film and in terms of this particular film, I found that it does not matter how good, for example, that chair skit was. It features in a film where it really has no right to feature in, for one. And secondly, it features towards the very end. Say last 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So by that stage... You're already out. You are so out of this movie. You do not care. Yeah. So really, having a sketch like that... And I have to say, I don't have much of an affinity for it. I probably see its potential to be a brilliant skit more than what it perhaps is. And I, I'm going to be the first to acknowledge that that particular skit, because I've seen it performed by somebody else before and yeah. quite enjoyed it, I don't think I'm giving it enough credit. <laughs> However, it is a result that I have endured over an hour of this movie before it gets, you know, and it feels longer than an hour. I do not like any of the characters. I do not care. So, when someone does something really funny, I am not amused. Yeah, most yeah.
0: certainly. And so many of the characters are squandered. Yeah. So, Harry Seacombe's character of Harry Jones, Harry Seacombe always played the straight guy, but he still had plenty of comedy bits. Mm-hmm. Here you can f- see where the, the beats are, but they're just, they're dropped, they're played half assed they're not given, I think the big difference is the Goon Show would have a reality that everyone accepted. So there's a point at the start of it, I don't care about spoilers, I don't want you to go see this, uh, there's a point where Harry Jones cuts a lady's dress off by yeah. mistake. And in the goon show, there would have been some extraordinarily funny uh sound effect, and then everyone would have been making you know some catcalls. Mm. or uh, again i'm I'm thinking on the fly here, but the point is it would have then been accepted. The joke might have been this is the invention of the miniskirt or yeah. the, or or it would have been accepted within that world. Mm. this one. He gets all flustered and, oh, no, what have I done? And and the, 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 the boss comes in at him and goes off at him and mm. all this sort of stuff. And it's not accepted within the world. The mm. humour is played more like a... It shouldn't be here than, that nah, this is the world we're in. Is it that this film is grounded too much in reality? Yes. Okay. And this is why I'm like, this should have been one of the greatest films. Mm. Because... If they'd stuck to a true goon show formula, if they'd s- allowed themselves... And yes, budget probably didn't allow. Technology of the time probably didn't allow. Yeah. But if they'd stuck to true goon show form, this would have been hilarious. Right. Because I can take almost any goon show script... mm Not personally, obviously, because I can't draw, but give it to someone that can draw and they could give you an amazing cartoon. A
1: hilarious cartoon. Yeah. Well, look, as somebody who isn't familiar with The Goon Show, this definitely is not a product or a title that sells me their humour. So one of the things that I'm thinking of when I'm watching this film, I'm like, okay, well, you've got a film that's primarily based, I suppose, like in an army base more than anything else. And you can sort of see what they're going for. And then you're like, well, okay, well, what are some of the the comedians that came before them or their contemporaries that did feature films? And again, there is really nothing here that makes them stand up to their contemporaries or anyone that came before them. So I was just thinking, well, okay, you had, for example, Laurel and Hardy, who I think are the funniest duo in history, and their film, Bonnie Scotland in the 30s, did this type of stuff a lot, lot better. So one of the characters here, played by Harry Seacombe, for example, has some Oliver Hardy mannerisms Mm. in terms of, you know, the fumbling tie-tweedle and the hands and so forth. But again, does not hold a candle to the man. Oh, most And you not. might argue, oh, okay, well, that's a lovely, the homage." but then you can't help but think, well, this is how Ollie would have played it, and this is sort of the humour that Laurel would have put in it because Laurel was the gag master oh, here. Oh, certainly. And Laurel and Hardy themselves, for example, Philip, uh, when they went from Hal Roach Studios to Fox Studios, their humour was squandered ridiculously. Yeah. Like, apparently, this, or what it appears to be yeah. from your feedback... They were given a script and said, just do it. So, the Fox movies that Laurel and Hardy did are not great movies, but they deliver enough that you can say, okay, well, their scenes kind of work. Nothing here really works. So, it is surprising that you've got a writer, at least one writer that we know of, who worked with the boys, and then you've got the boys themselves... But yet there seems to be a restriction that I don't understand that yeah. they're not putting in their own humour. As
0: a brilliant example of this, mm. Dr. Strangelove, Peter Sellers, played all those characters in Dr. Strangelove so much better than he plays Dennis Bloodmock, who is meant to be this over-the-top Dennis Bloodnock in The Goon Show is meant to be this cowardly, over-the-top uh, uh, major, who's actually a major in The Goon Show, um, mm. who, for example, <laughs> this one time he, there's a knock on the door and he gets up in all this armour, hides under the bed, and then goes, Right! Let them come! And then s- the person walks in and he's like, Ah! I surrender! Deutschland! 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 <laughs> no! Uh, major it's me what there will always be in england mm. and just something as simple as that is
1: so much funnier than any of the rubbish that came out of this yes and how surprising is it because you're right peter Sells, who is the only actor in this film that i actually know of and have yep. seen before and know his talent yeah so you're right this is disappointing yes because we know how brilliant he is but it's interesting that you do say that dr Strangelove or how i learned to stop worrying and love the bomb <laughs> uh he was able to really showcase his humour here. And I say surprising because that film was directed by Stanley Kubrick. Who notoriously was very strict about his vision and was very focused. So I wonder what happened in that movie because... Peter Sellers sort of mannerisms in Doctor Strange Love isn't very Kubrick-esque because Kubrick no, has done it. funny bits yeah, before yeah, yeah. in his films and it is something totally off center. Yep. So you feel like that Sellers was able to play around yep. to to showcase. So that says a lot to me that Kubrick allowed one of his actors to go almost like a free for all. Maybe he was a fan, I don't know. Yeah. So this movie to me feels like
0: Again, I'm very surprised to hear that one of the writers was a Goon Show writer because this movie honestly feels like, I think you were right in saying, knitted, squashed, squandered. Mm. It's one of those movies where the actors in it are not big enough, at the time, are not big enough to be able to throw their weight around, Mm. but are big enough to make a movie. Yeah, Sort of thing. Oh, we want to make a movie on the Goon Show. And then it's just not translated well at all, which annoys me because it could have been. Mm. It really could have been. I can picture a goon show on the big screen. I can see how you'd make it work. Yeah, the humour... You couldn't just take a goon show script and translate it straight away because it's audio humour versus visual humour. Yeah. Different medium. Different medium, but you can make it work. And I also know this because, again... Python did it. Mm. Spike did it later with the Q series. Monty Python, Holy Grail is essentially a goon show script. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Pythons were influenced heavily by the goons. They, they say it all the time. Yeah. So I'm very disappointed about uh, this movie because it was the goon show show. We never got to see. <laughs> yeah,
1: I suppose so. Yeah, but again, it's not a sort of film that inspires me, and I know this will disappoint you, Philip, Mm. because you do hold them in high esteem. It doesn't inspire me to sort of see their other material. Yeah, definitely.
0: For me, The Goon Show, and I I remember getting this a few couple of years back, Christmas time, and going, oh my goodness, this is The Goon Show movie that Mm. uh, I've heard about, rah, rah, rah. Then actually sitting down to watch it, and I got maybe ten minutes in, yeah, maybe half an hour at tops, and just turned it off because I was like, "Yes, this is not my Goon Show. This is not my." It was nice to see Spike do a few little bits and pieces. But it, it wasn't him at his best. It was him at his maybe phoned-in worst. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you know, Philip, it was. this isn't a film that really inspired anything yeah. from me, much interest. So I can appreciate that you would probably be even more um critical and disappointing yeah, this film yeah. <laughs> than i would be so but i'm sorry to hear that because these are comedians these mm. are creative people who you hold in such high esteem and this is a part of their legacy yeah
0: that's yeah. it That's it. so when with all of that yes and i think we're both going to be in agreement with this but <laughs> what are your final thoughts and square out of five
1: well look philip the thing that I enjoyed most about this movie was the cup of tea and the Maltesers you gave me yeah. while we were watching it. Uh, that was my highlight. Yeah. Now, admittedly, I really haven't had anything to say about this film. I probably had more questions and feedback <laughs> and critiques, but that's also because there is just so little from me, to draw from. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of highlights that I could say, "Oh wow, let's really talk about this because this was amazing or I loved how this happened here or how, how did they do this?" But also there wasn't anything on the extreme flip side or can you imagine they did that? Couldn't how, yeah. how why, why did they do that? Uh, to call it mediocre would yep. actually be a compliment. I don't want to say it's a complete and utter waste of celluloid because look, it's photographed beautifully. The black and white and the way it's lit Looks really, really nice. Mm. I think the costumes look good. I think the performers have clear talent. Like, I can actually see the talent mm. there. But probably how you said uh, that Spike phoned it in, it feels like they all did. Yep. A few of the gags gave me a slight smile. Mm. Some of the dialogue was, I think, more effective than some of the physical gags. Yep. So, you know, there, again, there's, a, there's some humour to be had here. I liked Carol Carr's performance of the title song. Yeah, In the movie, I thought that, that was, you know, if you had to pad it out with something, yeah. I would have just been happy with that alone. She's a beautiful and talented young lady, and she performs this really well. Again, yes, it was padding, but when you had the dancers rehearsing and practicing, yeah, all the gags that were incorporated into that fell flat, but at least they did their job well. Yeah. So, again, I don't want to say it's a complete and utter total write-off. I'm not convinced by your argument that this had any potential, though, to be one of the greatest (laughs) films ever made. When I consider the films that came in the decade of the 50s, an important part of history in terms of entertainment and culture, because the 1950s is where we have the birth of popular culture. Mm. So, in a world of giants, of the Munro's, the Brando's, the Dean's, the Presley's, the Taylor's. (laughs) They cast a big shadow on something like this that really, I think, based on the talent involved, uh, should have at least been entertaining. Yeah. But because there were a few things that I could draw from it that I felt okay, look, was actually done well, I'm going to be extraordinarily generous and give this half a star out of five. (sighs) Philip.
0: you are already nicer than i'm going to be
1: <laughs> well so. i've already acknowledged <laughs> i've already acknowledged my friend that because you know I'm not the fan that you are the stakes are higher for you in watching yeah. this so yeah. yes
0: so okay i i see what you mean when you say to to just to quickly address the greatest film sort of thing i see what you mean by yeah the things that had come out and were around mm. and yes even if we took the Goon Show and did it right. Even if this had been done right. Yes, it's no Gone With The Wind. It's no Wizard of Oz. Mm. It's no Pulp Fiction. It's no. It's not going to be one of the greatest. No. But this could have been a piece that people looked back to and went, ah, that inspired so-and-so. That created so-and-so. Mm. That is me drawing a long bow because... Obviously, it was nowhere near what was actually in the product. I'm merely saying that through looking at who was involved. The Goons themselves. Spike Milligan is an amazing writer. Peter Sellers, brilliant actor. Harry Seacombe, awesome singer, funnily enough. We had musical numbers. Where the hell was his song? (laughs) True. So it had all these elements that were there that could have, but they just didn't come anywhere near it. Also, looking quickly at the military side of things, that should have been a lot better. There should have been a lot more out of that. Because all four of the goons served in World War II. So, a lot of stories that they could parody in satire. One of the most famous war memoirs of all time that came out of the Second World War was Spike Milligan's Adolf Hitler and My Pardon His Downfall. (laughs) So, that is a very... Amongst people who like war memoirs, that is one of the most well-known pieces of literature. Right. Why did this pathetic little piece about the Z-Men... End up a pathetic little piece when they had so much war history to go off. Yeah, they so could have so done their knowledge.
1: own. They could have done their own version of the Great Dictator. Oh, really. tell me about yeah. it.
0: Oh, see, even that is a. I'm, I'm picturing it right now. Yeah, nothing about this came together for me. And as a fan of the Goon Show, as a fan of Spike Milligan, he is my role model when it comes to comedy. Mm. As a huge fan of Sellers and Seacomb. Benteen as well. I know um, our friend Mikey Lister is a huge Michael Benteen fan. Right. As a fan of all all them, I have to give this movie zero out of five stars. There is no way.
1: (laughs) Breaks the heart a little for you, huh?
0: Breaks the heart. (laughs) But to me, this isn't even the Goon Show movie. This is the little thing you hide away and... (laughs) We're reviewing it now so you don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) You can thank us later. That's it. We accept thank you cards and gifts. So, Wayne, after that uh, disappointment. Please tell me, what have you got for us next time?
1: Well, next time, Philip, hopefully a film that's not going to be disappointing because it's one of my favourite Australian films, actually. I thought for our next podcast, we would take a trip back to when it was all about the surf and the sun <laughs> and some turf wars on the beach Ooh. in what is one of my favourite coming-of-age films, Puberty Blues. And oh, nice.
0: <laughs> I can't wait to see it.
1: Yes, can't wait to revisit it. It's been a while. <laughs> So until then I've been Wayne Stellini and I've been a film hunting and, and you've I've just, just experienced, experienced Fred Watch. Show music. Is it bad that I'm enjoying this? <laughs> <laughs>
0: keep going Philip. <laughs> bring it home <laughs> alright
1: shut up now ta ra
0: ta ra I watched Jojo Rabbit. Oh, hello. Yes, yeah, so, it's so a relatively recent um, movie mm-hmm. that came out from... Oh, fuck, what's his name?
1: Taika Waititi. Thank you, Taika Waititi. Taika, Taika Waititi. Waititi. Yes. So, he's revered amongst us film and TV mm. nodes. So, he's revered... What are we looking at today? Well, today we are...
0: Pond by two MNE. Enemy, enemy, enemy. He teams up with Eccles, Spike Milligan, Colonel Bloodnock, Peter Sellers, and Carol. The movie was written. So, sorry, I'm going to backtrack. Start fresh. Yeah. Well, that surprises me heavily because there's no way in hell he has captured the goon show within this.
1: Yeah. I'll look up Francis Charles now. Actually. Yeah, sure. So while you're doing that. Actually stop because he doesn't have a thing. So one of the characters here, so Harry Seacombe, how do you say? And his name is Harry.
0: Yeah. Harry Seacomb, and his character's name is Harry James. Yeah, so-
1: I wonder where almost like the payoff... No, 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 no. I think moving into our final thoughts and stuff. Mm. Um,
0: no, let's retract that because you got to go first.
1: Score out of five. Look, Philip, uh, admittedly, the most... I'll start that again because mm-hmm. I went... Uh. Well, look, Philip, admittedly, the most...
0: One of the most famous war memoirs... Uh- one of the most famous war memoirs of all time that came out of the Second World War was Spike
1: Milligan's Adolf Hitler. Because uh... it's one of my favourite Australian films, actually. I think... It, I thought it would... La, la, la. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't
0: wait to see it.
1: Yes, can't wait to revisit it. It's been a while.
0: <laughs> um... Oh, sorry. I'm, no, I sign to... off. I sign
1: off. Yep. So, until then... I've been a Wayne Stellini. And I've been a Philip Hunt. <laughs> <laughs>
0: love,
1: you, love you, Wayne. You know how we were talking before about how a cluttered room makes for a better podcast yeah. experience. <laughs>
0: the funny thing is, you probably won't be able to hear that. No. So this is gonna be <laughs> us laughing and stuff, and you'll sit there on the editing going, Why? What the fuck <laughs> <is> this? <clears throat>